love the little click at the end of that video. Um, well, welcome, 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 welcome. How is everybody? Good. Are you sure? Do you need more coffee? I'm like hooked on stuff, so let's get that rolling. Do you need more coffee? Because now's your opportunity. Listen, I came to bring the word this morning, and so I hope that you came ready to experience what God has for us. Um, we are in a series, obviously, called Things Jesus Never Said. And you might be thinking, that's an interesting thing for a church to talk about, what Jesus didn't say. Shouldn't they be talking about what he did say? And here's my response is, uh, what I find is that sometimes you feel the full weight and impact of what someone says when you think about what they didn't say or what they could have said. And in this particular series, we're examining the red letters. So if you're reading the Bible, um, the section called the New Testament, those first four books are called the Gospels. They're, they're titled Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, they tell the stories and the life of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. And if you see letters in red, they are typically words that are attributed to Jesus actually saying those words. And they carry an, like an otherworldliness to them, a power to them that is really, really significant. And so we're going to get to explore that in all of its goodness. I think this week may be my favorite week in the series. It might, next week might be too. I, it, it's, it's a toss-up. Um, and so last week, we got to see what Jesus didn't say about forgiveness. He didn't say, go into the, all the world and don't, or he didn't say, you don't have to forgive them, right? He, he said, no, 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 as we forgive, God forgives us, and so there's this power to forgiveness. And so to introduce it today, I thought I'd share again some Funny things, uh, if you were really astute, I kind of gave one away just a second ago with the word faux pas, but here we go. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and preach whatever makes people happy. Although sometimes I feel like that would be a lot easier for me and maybe for you too. He didn't say, whoever wants to be my disciple must affirm themselves, avoid the cross, and follow their own heart. No? Nobody? He's hitting home too soon. Jesus didn't say, and I love this one, ask and it will be given to you because God is your celestial sugar daddy. He's your divine vending machine. Um, and yet, that's sometimes how we see God, isn't it? So today we're going to jump into a story that has just so much, um, it, it just an incredibly powerful application to each and every one of us. And we're going to look at what he didn't say at the end of this story because what he did say has the power to transform our lives. Can I just say a quick prayer for us? Heavenly Father, open our hearts, eyes, ears. May what we hear this morning be from you, not from me. May it be your spirit speaking and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you want to follow along the notes, you're welcome to go to wayfinders.info, click on Kyle, and then the message notes for today, but they should be on the screen for you. And we're just going to jump right in, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, starting at verse 2. At dawn, Jesus, he, Jesus, appeared again at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now, I want to pause here so that you kind of get some context of what's going on. Jesus has been doing a bunch of teachings and miracles, and he's gathering at the temple teaching basically like a, a way group. There's a small peop, group of people that gather every morning at the temple, and so he's doing a, a, a Bible study for all intents and purposes, with these people. And it's at that moment that these teachers of the law and Pharisees bring in a, a woman to, uh, to him that had been caught in the act of adultery, which begs up a whole lot of questions already that we don't have time to get into. Like, in this story, where's the man? It takes two to tango. He's nowhere to be found, Right? Well, that's a story for a different day. Or, better yet, story for a different day. Um, they caught her in adultery? What sort of peeping Tom hole are they looking down to catch? The anyway, I don't need to get into that one either. That's a different story as well. But we continue. The Pharisees and teachers of the law brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of the adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, since yesterday was uh, Star Wars Day, may the fourth be with you, everybody say, it's a trap. Okay, I just had to throw that in there, so if you're a Star Wars fan... I caught you. They're using this question as a trap. Now, here's where this gets complicated. They bring this lady in the temple courts. It was probably her lowest and most humiliating moment of her life. I mean, if she was caught in the act, she's probably not wearing much. You know, it's not a really good situation. And they don't really even care about the person. They're using the person to trap Jesus. And this is where it gets complicated. In the law of Moses, so the teachings of Moses in the Old Testament, specifically in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, those are where the majority of the lo those laws are taken. It teaches the people, and that's what they had been based their, their kind of their laws and their life around. It teaches the people that someone who was caught in the act of adultery they were guilty of it. The punishment was being stoned. Now, for the record, being stoned in this case is stoned to death, not medicinal or recreation. Okay? Everybody tracking? Medicinal means like it's subscribe, uh, prescribed. Okay? Yeah, there you go. Um, so, according to the law of Moses, she's guilty, and so the next step should be she gets stoned and put to death. And they're using this to trap Jesus because if Jesus agrees, what happens? He loses his reputation of being loving and merciful and embracing of people that are broken in all of our 
messed upness. And Jesus has this reputation for not only seeing and embracing those people, but transforming those people through the power of love. And so if he agrees, he loses that reputation. But if he says, yeah, go ahead, stone her, then he's, you know, shows that he's callous. And if he says, let her go, if he just says, go free, all of a sudden he's condoning the behavior of adultery. can't do that. Neither one of those are good outcomes. And so Jesus, verse 8, began, he bent down and started or began to write on the ground with his finger. Which brings up the age-old question, anytime every person that I have ever met reads this story, the question is, what was he writing in the sand or in the dirt? What was he writing? Now, um, Later manuscripts, so the, the, the later the Bible went, like things got added or, or more details put in sometimes. And later uh, manuscripts actually uh, say he wrote the sins of the accusers. So if you can imagine Hank the Pharisee dragging in this lady and all of a sudden he sees all of his dirty deeds getting written in the sand. And, and of course, we don't know if this is true or not, but I... I tend to think that it is because of the Greek word for wrote down in the sand right here and later on. Um, the word is kata graphene. Kata means against and graphene means to write. So it's to write against something or someone. It's not just a writing down, it's, it's a writing down against something. And um, and so, if that's really the case, then it tends to me to think that, yeah, he's writing out something against Hank the Pharisee. I don't know if it's actually Hank the Pharisee, by the way. That's not in the Bible. I've just made that up. Please don't quote Hank the Pharisee for the rest of your life. Um, but that's, that's my take on this. So, um, verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, Jesus... He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Everybody say, without sin. Come on, you can do better than that. Without sin. Oh, man, that was good. I did a little research about this passage and the commentaries when they talk about this word without sin. It isn't just not completing the action of sin. It's actually not having the desire to do it. Those are two totally different things because there's been a lot of times that I've wanted to say something to someone or I've wanted to do something to someone or I've wanted to embark on some sort of activity. Though I have chosen not to, the desire was there, right? So this type of without sin is so deep and isn't it easy, and I'm confessing, isn't it easy for me to see the sins of everyone else and gloss over my own, put myself in the easiest and best version of myself, the Instagram version of myself, and everybody else in their total, like, you know, grubs, 
We tend to do that. I mean, here's the thing. It's so easy to be like without, like I can remember I I was a youth pastor and I did a a, a teaching to a bunch of students and uh, it was a teaching on honesty and integrity and, and it was great. And have you ever done this? You put your headphones in when you walk into a place that you don't want to talk to people. And so you pretend to be on the phone. Does anybody know I'm the only one that's been this shady? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll admit it. And I walk in. And so everybody, you know, I'm, I'm doing the one minute I'm on the phone. And then my phone actually rings. <laughs> it's, it's not even wanting. Without sin there, it's not even wanting to do that. And I imagine they started to really take that to heart. Because here's the rest of the story. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Obviously, Hank was an older, wiser gentleman. Older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, no one, sir, she said. And this is what Jesus said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Think about what he didn't say. He didn't say, go and do whatever makes you happy. He didn't say, go, just follow your heart. He didn't say, no matter what you do, you do you, girl. He, he didn't say that. The line has some urgency to it. Go now and leave your life of sin. By the way, it's this freeing component. Go because there's something better for you. There's something more for you. There's an eternal life at stake. There's a higher life at stake. There is a more fulfilled life at stake. You're not going to find it there. Go and leave that because there is something better for you. Be free of that. Why do we give into the temptation to sin? Why do we give in? Honestly, if, if, I'm, uh, if I start to think about it and put myself in this lady's shoes, when I think about giving myself into any sin, any sinful desire that I may have, um, it's always because it sounds fun. Who would say sin can be fun, at least for a while? Let's be honest. Some of you are like, I'm not saying that in church. The rest of you, you're doing it wrong. Sin can be fun for a minute. But sin always promises satisfaction at a great cost. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of a full relationship with God. It promises satisfaction at the cost of pain and chaos and a wake of destruction and broken relationships. Can I get an amen to that? It always promises satisfaction at a cost And so my guess is this lady, I don't know her name, right? She's not named. But my guess is she didn't wake up and say, I'm getting it on today with whoever. You know, she probably didn't wake up and decide she was going to uh, commit adultery. That's just not really human nature. That's not really how it happens. And and so 
you know, maybe it happened like this. Maybe um, it started and, and maybe she had a happy marriage for a while and then it just fell flat and her husband just was inattentive or maybe he took her for granted or, you know, maybe he just said some things that made her feel um, not so good. And, and, and so she's at the office and there's this nice guy at the office, and after a year or two, um, this nice guy starts paying attention, complimenting, hey, you do such a great job. I'm so glad you're a part of the team, and I love the ideas that you bring to her. And did you get your hair done? And it's a small thing, right? It starts with this small thing. Did you get your hair done? Oh, they noticed, but my husband didn't notice. And, 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 and so is innocent, and there's nothing wrong, and, and she thinks he's funny and thoughtful. And, you know, then maybe a few weeks later, he starts commenting on her Instagram post and, and starts putting little fire symbols and heart symbols and all kinds of emoticons and, and, and she starts thinking to herself, you know, uh, I look forward to seeing this guy and, and maybe one night they happen to stay late for work and he opens up about his own marriage struggles and they connect on a deeper and more intimate level and then Maybe the next time they stay later, the next time they have a one-on-one conversation, he says, I think I made a mistake. I, I, I wish I would have married someone like you. And the next day in the hall, he brushes her arm and she gets the tingles. And she thinks, what was that? And she realizes her emotions are out of control and it's wrong, but it feels so right. Maybe he's what she's been missing and he'd make her happy and so... She consults her best friend, who is a yes man, and her best friend says, you do you, boo-boo. It's usually step by step, and it doesn't matter what the sin is, right? And this lady finds herself in the courtyard, barely dressed, humiliated, and ashamed. How did she get there? One of the things that I feel like is difficult in our culture that we face today is um, we approach life where everything is relativistic, right? And so what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me, and I'll live in my truth, and you live in your truth, and everybody will go on their own way. And while on some level that sounds right... um, It spurs this idea that you just do what makes you happy. And one of my challenges here is that without a belief in a centralized, grounded truth, without a belief in God's truth, truth can be defined by whatever makes me happy in the moment. And so when the bottom line is my happiness, happiness becomes the standard by which I judge my actions. And my happiness is also the standard by which I judge everyone else's actions. I, I don't know. We could know it's wrong, and yet it feels so right. So we just say, it was right. When we don't have a grounding, a, a belief in God's truth, truth becomes defined by whatever makes us happy which exposes a deeper problem. And this one is one that I really want to work on this morning. I think 
we have a problem in, in our culture and even inside the church where we think happiness and holiness, you guys just got judged the holy side and you guys the happy side, sorry. Happiness and holiness are at odds with each other. We choose one or the other. We choose holiness or we choose happiness. And if we choose holiness, we are obviously destined for miserable existences. And this is how it was portrayed to me. If I became a Christian, I had this list of rules of things that I could do and could not do. And it became about these things. And it sounded miserable because what it sounded like was if I was going to choose holiness, I was apparently going to wear pleats pleated khakis with a braided belt for the rest of my life with my shirt tucked in listening to Michael W. Smith tapes or the Gaithers forever and ever. Now, I like Michael W. Smith just as much as the next person, and I don't have anything against the Gaithers. They've put out some, some good stuff over time. But the idea was if I was going to be holy, it was this mold, and it meant that there was nothing joyful about the life that God had for me. And so there's this deeply ingrained sense that a holy life is at odds with a happy life. And that's just not the case. I think about how much I love my kids and how much I want for them to be happy. But I also get to steer them and shape them and help them, which means I put boundaries. And sometimes they're not happy about it, but it's for their greater happiness because we don't always see the whole picture. Think about this. Our loving Heavenly Father, Jesus said this in Matthew 7. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I think what's at stake is we keep looking for happiness and joy and satisfaction in the wrong place. Can I just say that again? We keep looking for happiness and joy and satisfaction in the wrong place. I stole this illustration, but I'm going to use it. And so if you don't like it, you could take it up with Max Licato because that's where I read it. Um, so there's this fish, right? Uh, everybody do your best fish face for me so that I know you're listening. Um, and, and it makes me feel good because fish faces are funny. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so there's this fish, and the fish is on the beach, right? Is he happy? No, he's not happy. So, so what if we decide we're going to give the fish everything that this world can offer? We're going to throw buckets of cash, and the fish is now swimming in a Scrooge McDuck swim vault of gold bullion and cash, does that make the fish happy? No. Okay, what if we, we, we deck the fish out, he's got the newest beats, he's got a, a party cabana, the Mai Tais and, and, and the pina coladas are rolling, he's having a party, he's having a good time, um, is the fish happy? Okay. What is the fish doing? Still on the beach. Right? Well, what if we give um, the fish a copy of Playboy, no, uh, Playfish magazine, right? 
ooh, look at the tail on that goldfish, you know. Um, I, don't know how that, I don't know how that works. Um, is the fish happy? No. Why? The fish wasn't designed for the beach. The fish was designed for the water. And you and I were not designed just for things of this world. We are designed for a heavenly existence, one fully connected with the Father. We weren't made for earth. We were made for more. We were set apart. We've been called holy. And so while we are here on this earth, we have to lower our expectations of earth because it is not heaven. And so no new car, no boyfriend, no vacation, no no likes on Instagram, no amount of money, no new hair or body or pair of shoes or self-esteem can give your heart what it craves or satisfy or bring joy. It ultimately can't do it because holiness isn't mutually exclusive of happiness. Holiness is actually the pathway to true happiness and joy. King David, all the way back in the Psalms, wrote this way. You make known, speaking to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So what did Jesus say to this lady at the end of the story? Go do you. Go do what makes you happy. No. To go and leave your life of sin. There's something better. It's not fleeting. It's lasting. There's something deeper. There's something more. And for some of us, I wonder if you're here where you're trapped maybe in a cycle where you just, you can't stop whatever it is you have going on whether it's an addiction or whether it's something else, you just can't stop and you, and you want to follow Jesus, but you're worried that if you give in to this or, or whatever, you won't be happy. Um, and so you give in again and again to a sin or addiction or a self-desire and you couldn't stop. I'm going to be fully transparent with you guys. When I became a Christian, I thought all of my challenges, my addictions and my brokenness would just immediately change. And while I can say to you that I was very different when I decided to give my heart and life to Christ, there was something that I found even a couple years into following Christ that was a constant problem for me. I I had an anger problem and a very critical spirit. And what happened was it made me lash out at people and call out the smallest things. And when I did, and, and I'm kind of cunning with my tongue, it made me feel better about myself. And, um, and I knew it was wrong, but I, I couldn't stop that. I felt powerless against it. Because every time I fueled my anger, it gave way to more anger. Everybody, anybody been there? Whenever you're fueling something, it just becomes more powerful. And, um, and so I can remember <laughs> I was had started my first ministry gig, and, uh, and I, was, I was at the store, and I was giving this salesperson just what for. 
as to like, hey, can you not even do your job? Like, this is the most basic, this is basic human stuff. Like, are you in, you know, I was just belittling them. And all of the sudden, my heart was like arrested. And something that I had battled was really about my own self-esteem, right? And what made me feel better or superior or all of those things. All of the sudden, all of that came flooding out. And I remember in that moment, I, I stopped and I started to cry. And I said, you know what? I am so sorry. I've been an angry person. And I've had a critical spirit. And today that was taken out on you. And as a follower of Jesus, I can't continue. And so I need your forgiveness in this moment. And it was just this powerful moment, and the salesperson totally changed, and I totally changed. And, and, and I can tell you that from this day till now, I have not been that person fueling anger or critical. I have moments where I still get angry, but it's not the same. It's not the same. And some of you are like, cool story, Pastor Todd. Glad you got there. I'm not there. <laughs> and so some of you are like, you're at a place where you can't stop whatever it is. That feeling of, 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 of emptiness, and so you, maybe you, you fill it by eating, or, or you can't stop overspending, and, and you just think, when that box comes to the door and I get to do my unboxing on Facebook, that will make me happy because the thing inside that I ordered will fulfill me, and the clicks that I get from the unboxing will bring extra joy on top of that. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's not eating or, 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 or spending. Maybe, maybe it's something you smoke or you drink or you pop. Maybe it's a critical spirit or maybe it's something you click and you're, you're just stuck in a cycle of, 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 of lust-filled images. And, and, or maybe you're just choosing the wrong relationships. And here's the bottom line. Sin promises satisfaction at a cost of the life that God has for us, at the cost of brokenness and chaos and a wake of destructive relationships and ultimately of pain to ourselves. But here's the truth today. Our God is faithful. Paul wrote, our God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so he says, go now and leave this life of sin, not to heap a heavier burden on her, but to say, you're free from that life. Don't be trapped for that life. I have something better for you. It's full of grace. It's full of freedom. It's full of wonder. You know, there's all sorts of video games out there today. My kids are obsessed with a couple of them that I, I like and a couple of them that I think I'd rather not have that in my life. Um, but whether it's Call of Duty or, or Anthem or Fortnite, um, sometimes you can't, you can't compete with the old school ones like Frogger and Donkey Kong and Pac-Man. But one of them was my favorite, and I had a couple different iterations of it when I was little. Um, anybody remember the old school game called Asteroids? Yeah, it was this crazy little game with a little triangle spaceship, and you press spacebar, 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 pew, because it made the sound pew, 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 pew. So, pew, 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 spacebar. And then, you know, you're moving your little spaceship around because then when you hit an asteroid, it blows up and becomes more little asteroids, making it even more difficult. And you kind of sometimes trap yourself and you feel like there's no way out. 
But then once you got to a certain level, there was this button. It's called the hyperspace button. And you hit the hyperspace button and you disappear and you reappear some other place. Pew, 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 ready for action. And I'm thankful that we have a God who doesn't give us a hyperspace button but gives us a hyper grace button and says whatever it is that you find yourself in, my grace is sufficient to pull you from there into a better place. Whenever you find yourself trapped, I want you to remember this. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. And so Jesus says, go now and leave your life full of sin. This is full of hope. Are you catching the sense? You don't have to be bound by fear. You don't have to be defined by the thing that you think will make you happy. You don't have to live in that sort of emptiness. We don't have to fear what's bad. We have to long for what's good. So I, I, I want to finish my story. I was in with this interaction with this salesperson. And what was happening to me at that moment when I got checked in my heart was I realized that I had been trying to live, even as a Christian, on my own power, in my own strength. Because I'm sometimes entrepreneurial and I like to bootstrap things and I get self-satisfaction from being my own man, whatever that means, um, what happened was I thought, oh, I'll just beat this thing. Anybody ever been there? I'll just beat this thing. It's not a problem. I'll just beat it. I'll just overcome it. I can do it. I do myself. That's what my kids say. I do myself. And I realized I was trying to do this on an internal power, and it wasn't working. But there was an external power that was fully available for me to tap into and lean on. And the moment I chose to depend on Christ, everything changes. You know the difference between remorse and repentance? Remorse is you're sorry you got caught. Sorry I got caught. Repentance, the, the re actually means to turn or to change or to alter and pent is like where we get the word penthouse. It's the highest. And so repent means to return to the highest way of being or living or, or to the eternal way of living. It's a shift. And so I heard this re-sentence, if you will, and it says this. If you rebuke the enemy and return to God by repenting of your sins and receiving Christ, your spirit will be reborn, your mind renewed, your life rebuilt. You will be reconciled by Christ's redeeming work and recap the rewards of relationship causing revival to break free. That's a lot of re's. 